Welcome back, guys. This is another episode of Into the Combine, just more of a special episode. Uh, I've got an interview with Doug Brown. He is the creator, you know, producer, director of the documentary film called Slaves to the Grind. It's a documentary about grindcore. And um, so we, we jumped into that, you know, asked a lot of questions about that, the process, everything uh, to do with that. And, um, you know, just some on grindcore in general, you know, what he likes about it. And what uh, I also did was ask him to give you guys who aren't as familiar with grindcore a few albums to ease you in the door and then a few albums that once you're in there, you can kind of go further with it. So whether you are a fan of grindcore or not, you know, I think it's pretty interesting either way. Maybe you're a fan of documentaries. You know, that's also um, kind of an interesting part of it. So stay tuned for that. And then uh, we've got another actual normal full episode coming soon, recording that in a few days. And it's going to be on... uh, our favorite metal songs to jam when we're throwing back some drinks or, you know, just kind of having a good time. You know, we're basically going to give you a soundtrack to your next metal party. You know, it's going to be a nice, fun, easy, laid back episode. And uh, so if you have any recommendations for songs for that one, send them our way. And, you know, just as always, well, you know, probably pick and play a few of them. All right, guys, enjoy. Still not loud enough. Still not fast enough. What, you know, what I what really drew me to it, you know, because um, I, I like grind. I like grind quite a bit, but I'm not really, I'm not deep into it. I don't know all the little twists and turns. I know the main, the main guys, main players. But um, what I really was, thought was cool about you, man, is uh, you just seem super compassionate about it. It seems like you really know your stuff. And um, so I guess what made you so compassionate about it and, and, and to want to do something that um, dives so hard, hard into something that a lot of people, you know, really aren't, uh, don't even know exists, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I I think that the the main drive for wanting to to make this film has a lot to do with not a lot of people knowing it exists, and also um, the more extreme anything gets, I think that there there is there tends to be a lot of uh, I guess misinformation about it. You know, I think of all types of performance, whether it's um, you know even even a strange spoken word performance or or bizarre poetry or you know the the more I guess extreme anything gets, the more chances for misinterpretation there is. Um, so you know, obviously, I have a love for extreme music and metal and and hardcore punk. And you know, in my humble opinion, uh, grindcore is pretty much as as extreme as music gets. Um, you know, obviously there's some harsh noise and in black metal, it's, it's pretty out there as well, but, um, for there to be something that is so outside yet, uh, I guess possible of of bringing so much positivity and happiness to this world as well. That to me is something that needs to be documented. And, you know, I, you know, first and foremost, I should point out, this is not just me making this film because I love grindcore. This is me making this film because I'm also a, a documentary filmmaker and, you know, when, when I see something this, this powerful, it exists and nobody has documented it, you know, uh, yeah. 
eventually somebody will. So I, I, I am doing it because nobody did it yet. Um, obviously that provides a lot of pressure to do it well, but I am definitely up for the challenge. Right, right. So you mentioned, you know, just the extremity of it and mm-hmm. um, no other subgenres like going that far. So is that what attracts you to it the most? Or, you know, there's so many different aspects of it with the, uh, you know, the ethos of it, the community aspect, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. What is it that really does it for you? Well, I'll admit music is what drew me in first. And then I kind of fell in love with the ethos of it. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a drummer um, and I've always been drawn to jazz and heavy metal because I, I have found that those tend to have the best um, drummers in it and sure. are often very percussive and and uh, led by drummers in some ways. And when I found Grind, you know, I think like a lot of people when you're you know, young and listening to music, you don't think as much about genres as much as you're just thinking about this band sounds cool. So, you know, like a lot of people, I was listening to Napalm Death and I just, you know, assumed it was another death metal band. Um, before I realized there was a differentiation between death metal and grindcore, or even the, the the etymology of the word or where it came from at that point was 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 kind of lost on me. So, um, you know, once I, I kind of realized that is what I liked about all this extreme music, like when there was a blast beat or when there was something that was like kind of lo-fi and gristly and kind of the grimy sound to it, you know, they, so it's kind of like these unique sounds that were kind of drawing me to the to the genre. And then in retrospect, I've kind of gone back and, and realized that, that it exists within a genre and then this genre has its own history. And, you know, I think like a lot of people, you, you, you search backwards, you know, you, where you are in time is your entry point. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm young, all, I guess, compared to some people who are lifers and been at it forever. I'm 34 years old. And, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, when, when I was finding this music, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I'd say it had already been around for, you know, not, I guess just a little over a decade. So there was already a lot of history in it. But then again, you know, it was even 10 years after I found it, then I started realizing the, the depth of this history and some of like the, I guess what I would consider, and then the film will argue some of the socio-political reasons why this this genre has continued. So yes, it started as a love of extreme music and playing fast, and and I guess the the sheer talent and musicianship behind it, and it has evolved into um, loving what it stands for, and I guess yes, loving the community that, that goes hand in hand with with music filled with outsiders. Right, right. So, okay, I wanted to ask, um, I've got two other co-hosts and, you know, they, they know the history of Grindcore and everything, but they don't, uh, they, I don't think they listen too much. Um, so this is kind of for them and for anybody, any of our listeners that maybe they're not really into Grindcore too much because we have a pretty broad listener base. You know, you can look at a list and find the essentials like you said and all that, but how would you ease someone into Grindcore? I guess maybe what I was thinking was like maybe five, whatever, however, how many albums it takes that you would maybe say start here and then end at maybe, you know, one or two of the ones that you should get to for as far as the classics and more pivotal ones. Yeah. When I, when I think of somebody being eased into grindcore, it's kind of like, how do you ease someone into being stabbed to death? (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Right. So it's tough because like I, I remember hearing something which in retrospect was grindcore and I hated it. You know, I listened to like, you know, thrash metal for the longest time and then I got into death metal and then I got into grindcore you know it was a kind of a faster and faster and faster one one band that I think it like personally I think is a good uh, kind of middle ground and a bridge um, is Soylent Green 
Sure. Um, ben Falghost is the lead singer. He's also the singer of the uh, of the death metal band uh, Goat Whore. Um, though with Soylent Green, it was definitely a combination of kind of that Louis- Louisiana sludge music um, mixed with blast beats. Um, it's kind of like you know Leonard Skinner meets Napalm Death, uh, mm-hmm. so to speak. There's a lot of musicality in that band, so that's definitely a band that I think is a good entry point. And So No Secrets, in particular, um, an album from the late '90s on Relapse Records, to me is one of the one of the best things that Relapse ever had their hands on. Uh, I believe it was 1998. Fantastic album. Uh, yeah. Another uh, introduction to the genre, and again, I think a lot of the things I'm I'm going to be listing here are not pure grind. You know, sure, because a good introduction is things that have grindcore elements. But also other elements that are still exceptionally musical. Right. Like a band I agree. like Fuck the Facts comes to mind. Ottawa, Canada used to be a five piece. Now they're a four piece Topon who does a lot of the, the writing on it is an incredible writer. And I guess includes like metal core elements into it as well as some death metal parts, a lot of breakdowns, you know, but at the end of the day, the, the drumming is, is so intense. Like those blast beats to me are, are some of the cleanest blast beats. And, um, for any drummers out there, he alternates between single and double footing, which is, you know, uh, super wow. important for some people. Um, Mel's vocals are, are, 
are incredibly fierce and, and shrill as well as their, their bass player does uh, vocals. So it's kind of like a dual vocal thing going on. Um, so two kind of tones and textures. So that, that's a, that's a band that I think is a, another really good entry point. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you are going to like grindcore, you know, and uh, this is me, this is me, I guess, giving my opinion on some things, <laughs> you know, I, I can't hide my love of Napalm Death. In particular, from Enslavement to Obliteration, their second album, which is the first one with Shane Embry, mm-hmm. um, who's their current bass player and has actually been the longest running member of Napalm Death. That to me is just kind of when like Napalm Death kind of locked in on their formula. Lee Dorian is on vocals, who is their uh, the second of three vocalists that have been in uh, Napalm Death, and uh, yes, yeah, so that and the Peel sessions that they did were were just absolutely outstanding. And the other thing that just has to be said, which I, I think is is not only one of the first grindcore albums, um, is also in some ways one of the first gore grind albums. I know that Carcass definitely is, but um, Repulsion's Horrified album, um, mm-hmm. you know, the lyrical themes were definitely gory and horrific. Um, the band used to be called Genocide, <laughs> as an example, before they well, settled on Repulsion based on uh, Roman Polanski's film. But, you know, it, it, it to me is the, the metal side of things because, you know, the big argument is, is grindcore metal or punk. Well, you know, Repulsion is, is a band with, with punk roots and Napalm Death Sorry, Repulsion is a band with uh, death metal roots, and uh, you know Napalm Death is a band with punk roots. But both those bands locked in on this formula and produced something incredible. So you know there there's a I guess a couple examples of some uh, some uh, kind of crossover things that came later, and two very important early things um, to check out that come from I guess total different types of music, but still settled on the same thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's good because I know for me, I, it, it took me a minute. I, I remember listening to bands like Pig Destroyer, which have some of those really catchy parts that yes. got me in, you know. And and like you said, even Soil and Green too. Those those sludgy parts were uh, were something that I could latch on to a little bit too, before uh, getting to some of the more classics and the extreme stuff. And it's crazy how tastes change, you know. Even over a year, you know, you listen to this harsh stuff, and then it's not harsh enough. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's just it. You know, like, like eventually, you know, you think of even like shock value, you know, what was shocking in, in, uh, in the, the eighties is no longer shocking. When I was interviewing Bill Steer from Carcass, he was mentioning that like, you know, all this music that used to be scary and this is his words. He said, it all seems a little cuddly now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, And, you know, him with his British accent saying the word cuddly was always very funny to me, but, um, it, it is true. You know, like we, we have, we, there's like a litmus test of, of extremity and we, we continue to surpass it in, in many ways. Right. Right. So when you sat down, you started, uh, coming up with a plan for this, you know, I'm sure you want to tackle the history, the main topics, you know, that most music documentaries go through. Was there anything that uh, anything else you wanted to tell a story to tell? Um, and then I guess, was there anything since I'm sure you're pretty much done with all most of that part of it? Is there any themes that popped up that I guess you weren't expecting? 
Oh, uh, certainly on both those accounts. Um, you know, making making my last documentary, I made a, a film called Never Enough, which is about uh, collecting and the, kind of the anthropological need we have to, uh, like the desires that are kind of wired into us to own and to buy in bulk and whatnot. And and it showcased a lot of collectors around around uh, mainly Canada. And um, making that film, I made a lot of mistakes. You know, I went in with a thesis and I went in kind of having a, a pre-existing idea of how I wanted the film to look. And I kind of fought against that whole process, like creatively the whole time. Um, I was in this 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 state of me trying to make this film that kind of existed in my mind, only to realize that that film will never be made. The, the mm-hmm. film that will be made is the film that will, I guess, unravel in front of me if I pay close attention to these interviews. So going into this film... Obviously, I knew that there was a history to be told, and obviously, I knew that there's a lot of people who, I guess, identified with the politics of grindcore, and that needed to be told. But I also just had to kind of go in there and listen to all my subjects. You know, if if I made a film about my favorite, you know, grind musicians, yes, it would have a lot of the classics in it, but um, it wouldn't be objective. So, uh, you know, part part of this process for me has been, I guess, trying to unwrite the history that I wanted to learn when I was getting into it and just focus on the history that's important on the global grindcore community. So, you know, as much as there are these like amazing pockets of grind that exist and people think that their hometown is, is the, the be all and end all of grind. And if you don't have this, you're a poser, you know, like <laughs> you're, you're going to get that in any, any, you know, music community when you're surveying something that's, um, I, I guess very close to some people's hearts and whatnot, but I had to go in almost saying, you know, Napalm, Death, and Repulsion are the only two grindcore bands that matter. <laughs> and every everything else will slowly unfold as I go about this journey, you know. Um, so that's kind of, that's has been my motivation behind making this, and I've been very pleasantly surprised, you know. Um, you know, you can Google like what are the ten most important grindcore bands, and sure, yeah, they all made it in this film. But they didn't make it in this film because some list would tell me. It's because I had to follow the steps of those who laid the groundwork and what came afterwards and how it all kind of fits together in one big puzzle. And at the end of the day, it's storytelling. You know, I'm, I'm telling a story. I'm a storyteller as a filmmaker. And, um, you know, so who speaks well on camera and who's, who's going to tell the story where people are going to want to listen to the story at the end of the day? Sure, sure. So I know you're a teacher also uh, by day. So was there any of those kind of techniques, you know, in your knowledge and just experience as a teacher? I'm thinking that would help out just telling this story and educating on this genre. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because, you know, education is to me one of the most important things in the world. Uh, You know, I once had a conversation with a farmer and he said to me, he's like, he's like, Doug, you know, if the the whole world went to hell, we'd be the only two that would be, you know, able to find work. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's true. Farming and education are the two most important things. And, you know, cause people need to learn to sustain their lives and people need to eat. <laughs> right. And, uh, well, this is certainly not a film about farming. You know, I, I think that education is very important. You know, uh, my tactics as an educator, you know, like I think about a lesson, you know, like I, I teach, you know, senior level students, grade 11 and 12 students, you know, when I'm designing a lesson, you know, I have 75 minutes to convey something with them. You know, that's that to me is like, you know, a short documentary right there. 
um, you know, every lesson kind of has to have an arc to it. And, and, you know, so when I'm teaching something that's, that's rooted in history, um, an example being like, I, I teach a senior level philosophy class, you know, a great deal of what I'm doing as an educator is, is finding what is the most important thing? You know, if, if a student is going to leave, um, the classroom, like, what are they actually going to remember? Right. And what are they going to remember like 10 years from that lesson? Probably not much. You know, so I have to kind of think about a film in the same sort of way. You know, some, you know, I, I watch, you know, f- several documentaries a week. How much of it do I really remember a year from now, two years from now? So making this film, I, I'm thinking about what is the most critical one or two things that somebody who doesn't like grindcore will like leave the film remembering. And I hope it's not just they play fast or they, right. they yell, you know, cause there's, there's a lot more to it than that. So yeah, in, in making this film, I, you know, and like a lot of my artistic efforts, they, they all kind of combine with my, my love of education. Cause I, I think that there is, uh, you know, a very important philosophy in, in storytelling and in, in terms of how you can teach somebody something. And I truly believe that film is, is, has the ability to be one of the, the best mediums, um, to educate people you know, for better and for worse. Right. Um, so hopefully this will be for the better. <laughs> for sure. Now you can ask too, do you ever try and get your uh, students into grind at all? Well, uh, you know, I, I have, uh, my, my students obviously have heard about the, the film, you know, it's, it's become very public and, uh, you know, I tried to kind of hide it from them for a little bit of time. And then, uh, Vice Magazine <laughs> did a little feature on me and, you know, I think a lot of them subscribed to Noisy. So there was like pictures of me popping up in their news feeds <laughs> on Facebook and everything. So, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, if you Google Grindcore, you're going to get some uh, nasty names. <laughs> right. And then so, uh, you know, there was a, a very funny moment when, uh, you know, a colleague came up to me and and like name dropped, you know, a horrible band name is like, are you really making a film about this band? I was like, oh, they're in the movie. Uh, but it's not just about that. But, you know, in all of my uh, of all of my teaching, I've had three or four students that have been really into extreme music. One student in particular, I'll give a shout out to Oliver Green here, who is even introducing me to some kind of really unique grindcore as well. So um, now that he has graduated, I've actually seen him at a, at a few shows. And to me, like that, that's amazing. You know, like I was getting into extreme music when I was a kid. And I'm sure we all had that older mentor who was getting us into heavy stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. So I want to ask too, you know, uh, on this film, I guess, who? it sounds like you got a lot of the main staples in the, in the film. Was there any that you really wanted that you weren't able to get for an interview or some kind of a feature? Um, certainly, yes. Uh, I am actually going to not name names on that. Sure, sure. And the reason for that, and it's not like I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm ashamed that I didn't get them. That's just part of the, the process. But while the film is pretty much done, we're still holding out on a few people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would hate to say that they're not in the film and then <laughs> they end up being in the yeah. film. Yeah. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, we have like four members of Napalm Death and four members of Brutal Truth and the singer of Repulsion and, uh, you know, Pig Destroyers covered and Warsaw and, you know, Agathocles and Archigathus and, you know, all of the ones that I was super happy to get. There was never like um, a band that I did not get. 
Um, you know, there's a few members of bands that I'm still holding mm-hmm. off on. But, you know, part of being a storyteller is how can you tell history when, when some somebody doesn't want to be involved, you know? It, it doesn't mean that they are now no longer part of that history. It just means that my job is more challenging. So that's essentially what we're working on now. Sure. Okay, okay. Um, so what was, uh, I guess, what's the hardest thing about making a documentary like this about crying chords? I mean, it sounds like you probably have to do a lot of traveling, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And then what uh, what was most fun about, about doing this on uh, this kind of topic? Well, um. I'm I'm meeting my heroes. (laughs) You know, it's not every day that you can say that you're going to, you know, sit down for a while with, you know, Barney from from Napalm Death and have him blabber at you for a while. Or um, I'm I'm sure you're familiar with Brutal Truth. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I went to Dan Lilker's house. Uh, you know, he founded Anthrax as an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm sitting in his living room, and I noticed that he has a sword on his mantle, and the sword is held up by these two boxes. And I was like, "What are those boxes?" And he's like, "Oh, those are the, uh, you know, those are the the original master tapes for Speak English or Die by SOD." <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm like, "Can I just touch those for a second? He's like, "Sure, let's pull them down." And <laughs> you know, those are the things that have been a lot of fun for me because obviously, like, I'm 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 into history. You know, I'm a, I'm a music I'm a musicologist in the in the self-proclaimed sense, but also in the, you know, I am now documenting music, um, very publicly and, uh, you know, having the opportunity to like kind of visit with people and you realize that the type of music that I have chosen to love happens just to be made by people who are just like everyone else, you know, like, so that to mm-hmm. me has been a, a real treat, you know, like obviously going to shows for, for decades, you, you meet them all and they're all very, very kind, but you never have more than like a two or three minute conversation with them. You know, but, you know, sitting down with Dan Luca for three hours, then ordering pizza, then, you know, hanging out with his wife and cat, you know, like <laughs> those, those are the things that, you know, I, I wish I could go back in time and tell 15 year old Doug, though, hey, one day you're going to be doing this. And every once in a while, they'll send you an email saying, hey, is all well on your front, Doug? You know, and uh, so th- those are definitely some of the, the best things that have happened, you know, even outside of just like obviously being around fantastic music. It's it's the people. Um, you know, it's an incredibly down to earth genre. Now, as, as for some of the challenges, um, I don't think there's any challenges that are particular to making a grindcore film that wouldn't have popped up in making any documentary. Um, I'll give you like a a few little examples, some things actually I haven't told anyone about the the process of making this film, but now that we're, we're kind of done and this is the first interview I've done in a while, I'll let you know some, some some little tips and I guess if you're a documentary filmmaker out there listen up uh, <laughs> right uh, transcribe every every word right so when, when I do uh, a 90 minute interview um, I will type out every single word to time code that that person will say so then I can put it all in a giant Google Doc um, which is currently um, you know 1.4 million characters wow. um, you know that I have personally typed out now that is something it took me nine months to do because I have done 75 interviews did range anywhere from one to three hours. You know, just just thinking about like the, the person hours of doing something like that, it, it is like devastatingly, mind-numbingly horrible. Um, <laughs> but that to me is a part of a, a good storyteller to be able to quickly find that that bit of information. You know, oh, it's in this file folder. It's in this reel. It's at this second. This person mentions uh, brutal truth. Well, now we can go find it instantly. Like that to me is 
instrumental in making a good film. Um, but again, just one of the horrible things that goes with making a, a documentary versus a narrative film, which I've also made, um, which, you know, the story is already written before you get started. So, you know, editing a, a feature film, if you're organized, should just take a couple months. Uh, editing a documentary, that that's where the time takes place. You know, you're, you're constantly in pre-production, production and post-production all at the same time. You know, like, well, the film is pretty much done. I'm still like holding out on a couple interviews, right? So that means that I'm in pre-production and then I right. shoot those interviews, which now all of a sudden I'm in production again. Then I got to transcribe and I got to sync it all up and sync all the angles and start looking for photographs and archival video to go hand in hand with what those people are saying. And, you know, there's not a lot of time and money out there that's going to support a filmmaker wanting to do these sort of things. So, you know, like the challenge exists in the like, you know, and I and I will go on the record and say this documentary filmmaking is is the hardest art form. Um, you know, I've done a lot of things in my day. You know, I was a stand up comedian. I've been a musician. Uh, I've worked on narrative films and, and nothing is more like aggravating than working on something that literally does not exist. It's just you have an idea. You come up with some questions and you hope they're going to say what you want them to say. And they never do. And they don't right. because what they are going to say is what they're going to say. That is the truth. That is reality. And if they say something wrong, it's your job to now second guess an expert, second guess the person that said that. So, you know, it's 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 this trial and error and, and incessant research. And so, you know, there's a reason why films take three to four, ten years to make some documentaries. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot, man. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, you know, I wanted to ask, too, uh, one more thing about that is uh, with Grindcore, um, and this is where I get a little bit... Um, confused or I'm still kind of I'm still learning on this kind of stuff but with grindcore you know we've got gore grind porno grind power violence all these other subgenres you know and uh I guess where do you stand on all the separation do you do you get uh, picky with all that um or do you lump it into one and I guess how did you approach that with the film as well yeah so um I've been pretty I've been trying not to give my opinion too much on things um and and the reason for that is it's not a film about me Right. You know, it's not a film about what I believe. So usually when people ask me questions like that, I try to shy away from it, mainly because, you know, I don't want somebody to listen to this and, and say like, oh, well, Doug says that power violence is or is not grindcore. So therefore it is mm-hmm. grindcore. Um, so approaching this film, I've been trying to get, you know, who are the most credible people to speak on these topics, but also you know, who just disagrees with, with them as well. So every single time I present something, I do my due diligence and present the opposing opinion. And so in a lot of ways, this film is going to present a lot of things and then present the opposite and not come to any sort of conclusions. It's going to allow the audience to kind of decide for themselves based on all the information that exists in this world, just like anything else, right? This is not going to be like a love letter to Grindcore from some grindhead that um, just, you know, wants to to wave at the genre in the, in the rear view of a window blowing a, a kiss, right? Like I, I've also very deliberately gotten two editors that hate the music. You know, they, they, they do not enjoy this music at all, but they are wow. excellent storytellers and they're excellent at, I guess, acknowledging what is right and wrong in any given scene. So, you know, you know, I'm a huge record collector as an example for simplicity's sake. If I'm listening to Napalm Death and I'm probably going to also want to listen to Siege, now, I'm using Sieges as, as an example because very few people would mistake them for a grindcore band. They are a hardcore punk band, but to me, they are the, one of the biggest influences on the genre. Sure. So if they're one of the biggest influences on the genre, chances are that's what I'm going to want to listen to next. So 
you know, based on my own, I guess, organization system at home, a lot of it gets grouped together. Now, obviously, there are extreme sonic differences between, um, you know, gore grind and porno grind, and then you get into lyrical content um, and even imagery, you know. Um, and then, you know, like there's obviously plenty of excellent arguments for and against having any of those things within the music, you know, at the end of the day, is it just all loud, extreme tunes? Yeah, of course it is. Um, but the second you get an ethic in there, you're going to have people that are going to be swayed in any one direction. And that is to me what makes something exciting and makes something documentable. Um, all of a sudden it, it provides some sense of, uh, I guess like unique level of introspection. It's going to make people want to discuss it and discuss its merits. Right. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. Every time you go online, you know, you're looking at these kind of topics or any kind of comments, it's yeah. back and forth, back and forth, you know, so. And I'm not sure yeah. if you follow like the, the Facebook page for Slave to the Grind. I often yep, yep. pose a lot of questions just to get people thinking about that, too. Uh, in some ways, just preparing them for the film because the film is going to be riddled with debate. But uh, I, one thing I never do. Well, I, I, I'm, I never censor. You know, I allow people to say whatever they want and they'll call out the film and I'll allow them to do that. And I, and I generally just try to let that be, um, I've become a little better at that. You know, I remember in the first few months of it being active and people are like, whoever's making this film is a loser. You know, like I'm, <laughs> I was, I was hurt. <laughs> yeah. You know, now, now I couldn't care less. I got a movie to make, but, uh, you know, I, I, I do like those sort of discussions and those debates. And, you know, obviously I'm an educator, right? Like I, I'm, I'm in the field of education. So these are the sort of things that, uh, you know, I, I, I thrive on. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, if you are listening to this right now and like music debate, definitely check out the slaves of the grind Facebook page. Cause you know, having three or 400 people debate on whether porno grind is grindcore, you know, whether I agree with it or not, it's always fascinating to see people, yeah. I guess, uh, rationality behind it. Yeah. It, uh, it's entertaining. So, um, I had heard rumors the film was going to be out sometime, uh, December. Um, do you have plans for that and when you're going to, you know, uh, first screen it, things like that? Yeah. So I, I have a feeling it will not be out in December. Okay. You know, and, um, I, I, and the reason for that has a lot to do with the longevity of this film. You know, the film will be actually completely done in October, locked mm -hmm in a post house doing color and sound mix um, probably for about a month, meaning that in November I'm going to be sitting with a DVD of Slave to the Grind in my house. Mm. Um, but that said, I really want to do film festivals. And all of the applications for these film festivals are October and November. So that's why I'm kind of gunning for that period of time. But those actual film festivals are February, March, April. Okay. So I have a feeling that we are going to do a few film festivals early 2018. And I'm actually, today I locked a very special summer 2018 uh, screening of it, uh, followed by some sort of DVD, uh, Blu-ray release of it, and, you know, a worldwide release after that point. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's weird to think that, like, the film is pretty much done now. And we're going to be getting a, a full worldwide release a year from now. Um, but that's kind of the nature of these things in that, you know, if I just put it all up on, on iTunes um, right away, you know, I could never screen it in a film festival. You know, mm. I can't screen it at a film festival. I could never sell it. You know, I can't get distribution anywhere and there's going to be no kind of longevity of it. And let's face it, it's a documentary. I have a load of expenses. I'm probably, you know, I've worked for three years in this. I'm probably not going to make many dollars. All I want is for people to see it 
You know, right. um, at the end of the day, this is about music education, um, edu- ed- educating people on, to me, what is one of the most important visceral music forms in the world. Uh, I'm not going to spoil that reach just by releasing it three or four months earlier than what would make the most sense. Right, right. Well, man, I'm uh, definitely looking forward to it. We got enough, you know, we got about a million black metal documentaries, you know, death metal has been covered, but uh, it's going to be cool to finally see uh, Grindcore, you know, man. So really looking forward to it. Right on. Well, well, thank you very much. I, I do appreciate it. And I appreciate things like this, you know, just getting getting a chance to go on podcasts and talk to people about music. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for doing it. Really appreciate it. And then we'll be talking about it more, you know, as it approaches, as we hear more. And we'll be sure to uh, talk about it when it comes out. So good luck with all of that. Thank you very much, Jason. <laughs>